from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up, part three in our special series on rethinking public education. Now, the Trump administration, which sees the reopening of government schools as essential to reviving the economy, is putting maximum pressure on schools to reopen this fall. Now, most of the nation's schools began closing in February and March in response to the coronavirus pandemic. Parents found themselves in the role of overseeing the education of their children to varying degrees. For some parents, this has been a discovery, a discovery in part of what their children are being taught, which we covered in part one of this series with Kathy Roos about the explicit sex education material that has permeated almost every aspect of the public school classroom. We also spoke with education expert Mary Hassan about the mixed-up priorities of public education that have led to declining test scores, prompting Secretary of Education Betsy DeVos to declare, quote, this country is in a student achievement crisis, end quote. Hassan pointed out the reason education is declining is because many classrooms have become incubators of radicalization, leading to what we've been witnessing on America's streets. In part two, we looked at one of the options available to parents who are looking for some certainty and stability for their children, home education. Homeschooling has grown rapidly over the last few decades, with about 5% of America's 50 million-plus elementary and secondary education students learning at home. We talked about why it is growing with Mike Donnelly of Homeschool Legal Defense, along with the House with uh, Candace Duggar and also with Kathy Duffy, an expert on homeschool curriculum. Now, if you missed either of the first two parts of this series, I would strongly encourage you to go to TonyPerkins.com and listen to both of them. And feel free to share it with friends or family that are working through the educational options for their children as we head toward the fall. Now, today we look at a couple more options. But we start with a clear message of not abandoning the public schools. Now, hold on. While there are certainly better places for children than public schools, leaving is not an option for many. And just because we might have the ability to remove our children, we cannot forget those left behind. There are ways we can and should influence public education. Former Minnesota Congresswoman and Republican presidential candidate Michelle Bachman will be here in a moment. I bet you did not know her bid for president was made possible by first running for the local school board. She tells us about it in just a moment. And what do parents need to know about school choice and voucher programs? John Schilling, president of the American Federation for Children, is here with those answers. And Pastor Doug Wilson, a board member of Logo School, is here with insight on how pastors and parents can start Christian schools. You ever thought about that? And speaking of pastors and churches, Joseph Backholm, Senior Fellow for Biblical Worldview and Strategic Engagement at the Family Research Council, is here to talk about why it is time for churches to rethink public education and he has some suggestions as to how. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you miss anything on your way home, you can check it out later at TonyPerkins.com. All archived right there. In fact, the first two parts of this series are there. So go check them out. If you're on Parlor or Twitter, it's at T. Perkins. And uh, mark your calendars. The Values Voter Summit coming up September the 22nd through the 25th. Now you're saying, well, I'm not going to be able to make it to Washington this year. You don't have to. We're doing something different this year. It's all virtual. 
you'll be able to participate live online, being a part of the Values Voter Summit. It begins Tuesday, September the 22nd at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. It'll be every night that week, Tuesday through Friday. To find out how you can be a part of it and register, go to TonyPerkins.com, follow the links over. All right. Michelle Bachman was, uh, well, I mean, she was one of the leading voices on Capitol Hill for the Tea Party movement. I first met her back when she was a state senator in Minnesota battling for the marriage amendment in that state. She now serves as the chairman of the board for the Family Research Council. But it all began back in 1993. She and her husband joined with neighbors uh, to uh, to found New Heights Charter School. She began her political career by running for her local school board because of the problems she saw in the public school system, what she saw coming home in the backpacks of her children. And ever since, she has provided principled leadership on education policy, and uh, she has been a clear voice of leadership in our nation, and uh, we're so honored to have her on the board at the Family Research Council and honored to have her joining us today here on Washington Watch. Michelle, welcome to Washington Watch. Tony, thank you, and thank you for tackling this important issue today. Well, you and I have actually talked about this a number of times. It's one that animates you, it animates me, because first we have to start with the biblical admonition. You know, as parents, we can delegate the authority to teach our children, but we can never delegate the responsibility. That always resides with us as parents. And so we need to know what is going on. So share with our listeners what propelled you into the public space when it came to what was happening with uh, the foster children that you were raising. Well, that's right. This was the issue, the issue of America's public schools and the alarm that I felt by what was coming home from the backpack. My husband and I made a decision before any of our biological children were born. That decision was that we were, we would either homeschool or place our children in private Christian school because we wanted to ensure that our children received a biblical worldview education. I had done some reading and research and I was convinced that that was the best option for our children. The Lord gave us five biological children, and we either homeschooled them or had them in Christian school. But the Lord spoke to our hearts and called us into foster care. And over the years, my husband Marcus and I welcomed over 23 foster children into our home. And what we discovered shocked us because we had no idea, Tony, that foster children in the state of Minnesota had only one option. That option was public school. We couldn't homeschool those children. We were prohibited by law. We couldn't put them in private school, even at our expense. That was prohibited by law. They could only attend the public schools. And I was shocked when one day our 11th grade foster daughter brought home her math homework, and it was coloring posters. I did that with our three-year-olds on the floor in the kitchen, coloring pages, but never would I imagine that an 11th grade girl would be coloring posters when she should be learning about math. 
And I knew then and there something was seriously wrong with America's education system, let, let alone the moral impact of issues going on. And that's what propelled me to get involved. God put a godly calling on my heart to research this. I spent 2,000 hours in research, and from there, I went on to speak across my state and across the country, and that's what launched me into politics. Now, I I didn't mention that you are a tax attorney, so you're an attorney and a a tax attorney by by training. Um, And so I don't want to scare anybody that just because you run for the school board that you ultimately run for president (laughs) of the United States, uh, but there's always a first step. And, it, and it's, it's, it's through motivation. And, and this is why I think it's important here, because I don't want, I, I personally, I have the same way. We, we did not put our children in public school. My wife, uh, homeschooled all five of our children. We're still homeschooling. We still got one in school. Um, but we can't abandon the public school. We have to speak into it. There are kids there that no, need that's... our leadership and, and need our help. So we need people to run for the school boards. We need teachers, Christians, to go into the teaching profession. Talk a little bit about what you discovered in this research. Well, you're right, Tony. And the reason why you're right is because over 90% of all children attend public schools. Mm-hmm. So we can make the decision for our biological children. But remember, the children who are in public school are learning uh, concepts, attitudes, beliefs. And the bottom line of what I learned, if I had to reduce 2,000 hours down to this sentence, it would be this. I learned that the local classroom, which was meant to be originally an extension of the family and of local control, was taken over by the federal government. And the federal government determined curriculum and testing and standards. And that curriculum was so changed from what you and I knew when we were growing up that from my research, I found quotes and I found the material that confirmed that what knowledge, facts, and information was now jettisoned and instead Schools were teaching attitudes, values, and beliefs, but they were attitudes, values, and beliefs that were antithetical to traditional values and to the Bible. That's the bottom line. The schools were no longer focused on teaching knowledge, facts, information, Mm -hmm. but instead were focused on attitudes, values, and beliefs. And, Tony, I think that more than anything else points to why we are seeing this level of disruption in the streets of America today, because we have kids starting in about the year 1993. That's the watershed year when all of the standards changed, all of the testing changed, the curriculum changed. There were changes that happened before then, but at the national level, it was 1993. That places individuals that are about 40 years and younger from being influenced by the government-directed, federal government-directed attitudes, values, and beliefs, primarily based upon the concepts of socialism. I I could not agree more. I think what we see unfolding on America's streets is a result of what has been taught in America's classrooms. So at this point, Michelle Bachman, what do 
moms and dads, what do Christian believers across America, maybe they don't even have their kids. I know I know people that have run for the school board and served on the school board who didn't even have their kids in the public school. They homeschooled their own kids, but they ran for the school board because they care about the kids in the neighborhood. So what should what what should we be doing as it pertains to public education right now? Number one, we need to know what it is that our kids are learning, and parents have the right to know that. We have the right to access to curriculum, the access to testing materials, and we also have the right to give permission to the schools about what it is our kids will see regarding the issue of sexuality. So we need to be very proactive about what materials are coming into the minds of our kids and also the the books, the literature, what it is that they're focusing on. It is also important, as you said, that concerned people get involved and run for the school board. Um, I ran for the school board, and our children were in private school, and they were homeschooled. I didn't prevail at the school board level. But from that, I was propelled by people in my community to start a charter school, And we started the first K-12 charter school in the United States of America in Stillwater, Minnesota. And that school is still going today. So in many states across the country, now you can start charter schools. And that's an excellent alternative. It can't be a religious-based school, but you could have an alternative. And I think, again, I would just urge people to pray and ask the Lord what you should do The Lord called me into doing a deep dive into research, and from that, he called me into serving in politics. But for each one, we all have a calling, certainly toward our children, but to truly love our neighbor, Tony, we need to get engaged in America's public schools. And if Donald Trump wins a second term, this is where I believe he needs to focus. I could not agree more. completely revamping America's public schools. Cool. Michelle, we got we to gotta leave it there. We're out of time, but we're going to talk more about it. Folks, stick with us. Don't go away. Do Christians have a biblical obligation to participate in government? Do Christians have a duty to vote? And if so, what principles should inform them while casting their ballots? How should pastors think about politics, and how can they shepherd their congregations well during an election season? The gospel of Jesus Christ has implications for all areas of our life, including politics. Christians must be prepared to grapple with the moral issues of our day, the reality of our two-party system, and follow our Christian convictions to their logical end by voting for candidates that support clear biblical values. Family Research Council has partnered with 21 state family policy councils for a new edition of Biblical Principles for Political Engagement. This booklet provides biblical wisdom and clear answers to pivotal questions to help you navigate the political landscape. This publication exists to facilitate careful thinking about issues and encourage God-honoring political engagement that filters all issues and candidates through a biblical worldview. To read the full publication, visit frc.org slash engage. Masculinity in America has never been under attack the way it is today. We've reached the point where the term itself is considered toxic or offensive to many. The consistent message in our nation is that masculinity by nature is bad and is the root cause of many of the problems plaguing our society. From his experience as a military combat officer and ordained minister of the gospel, Lieutenant General William Boykin has seen and dealt with firsthand the breakdown of leadership in our nation by the lack of godly men living lives of biblical purpose. 
In his latest book, Man to Man, Rediscovering Masculinity in a Challenging World, he addresses the essential elements of manhood as a provider, an instructor, a defender, a battle buddy, and a chaplain, and explains how to personally develop these traits and pass them to the next generation. Get your copy today of Man to Man, wherever books are sold. Hey, Matt. Hey, Hannah. What's going on? Why so gloomy? Well, I'm a little disappointed. I had a lot planned to do during the stay-at-home time, and I just didn't do it. Oh, yeah? What did you have planned that you didn't get to do? Well, I was actually hoping I would finally be able to get time to do a regular Bible reading routine, and I started a couple of times. I just didn't stick with it. Don't be too down on yourself. Starting a new routine can be hard, but one way to help is to join in with others and to have a good game plan. I think I have a good solution for you. Oh, yeah? Tony Perkins and FRC are doing a two-year study in the Word. They have it all mapped out. When did they start? I, I would be so far behind. Oh, that's not a problem. You can literally jump in any time. There's a daily reading just a couple of chapters a day with questions to help you think about what you're reading. Nice. Where can I find this? Go to frc.org Bible and you can get started. Where's that again? frc.org Bible. Got it. Checking it out now. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. Uh, special three-part series we're doing, Rethinking Public Education. We were just talking with uh, former Congresswoman Michelle Bachman and discussing, you know, what led her into politics. I don't want to scare you, but, you know, she ran for the school board and ultimately ended up running for president. But we need to be involved. We need to, 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 to take aggressive actions. In fact, I was going to talk about this before we ran out of time with hers. You know, what my motto is is mama bear. We need more mama bears out there that will stand up to this agenda that we see in our public schools and, and, and exercise your right to protect your children. Now, there are options. We talked in uh, part two of this series about homeschooling. We talked about charter schools briefly with, uh, with Michelle. But what do parents need to know about school choice and school vouchers? John Schilling is the president of the American Federation for Children, the largest school choice advocacy group in America. He served four years as associate state superintendent and chief of policy at the Arizona Department of Education, was chief of staff for education uh, leaders council in Washington, D.C., and operated his own counseling firm that focused on education reform. John, welcome to Washington Watch. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. All right, let's just jump right into this. Giving parents options, you know, the we've been talking about reopening schools. We're talking about rethinking schooling. What do parents need to know about school choice and vouchers? Well, the first thing they need to know is that they don't have enough of it. <laughs> uh, we, you know, we've made a lot of progress over the last 10, 15 years expanding educational choice for American families. Uh, there's about 3.2 million kids in charter schools. There's about another 500,000 kids who, uh, who are in private school choice programs. Um, but what families need, particularly uh, as we are dealing with this pandemic, um, families need more flexibility and more choice. Mm -hmm. And 
I think the one of the things that the pandemic has laid bare is that our current K-12 system is far too antiquated, it's not flexible enough, and it doesn't have enough choice for families. Do you think we're at one of these, if I can use the term, revolutionary moments when it comes to education that we could, you know, there's been such a, a lock on education, quite frankly, from my perspective as a former policymaker from the, the, the unions, that it's all been about the system and not the children learning. Could we be at, at one of those pivotal moments? Tony, I hope so. And you, you used a term that, that, that we like to use, and frankly, that Secretary DeVos uses quite often, and that's rethinking education. Uh, you know, our model is basically still uh, a 19th century model. And while we've made a lot of advances, um, we haven't made enough advances. And with where technology is today, um, you know, we really need to give families uh, much more much more opportunity to think differently about how to, how, to, how to educate their kids. And, you know, the unions have a pretty strong stranglehold mm-hmm. over the traditional public education system. Uh, they put a lot of money into protecting the status quo, as you know. Uh, but I think when you get out there and you talk to families and you look at the support that exists for school choice, families want options. And, uh, you know, groups like AFC, what we're about is trying to make sure that, you know, we're putting the pressure on policymakers to uh, to give parents those options. And this is a nonpartisan issue. I mean, we absolutely you, you see people absolutely. on every side that want the best for their children. And fortunately, this has been a part of the discussion uh, in this uh, relief measure that's being worked on and moving its way through that giving parents options when uh, the public schools are not opening. So what options are available to parents if they they don't like the way their children are being fed this uh, kind of indoctrination that's taking place in our public school classrooms? What can they do? Well, if you're in a state that has charter schools, if you're in a state that has a publicly funded private choice program, uh, you know, you've got some options. Uh, virtual schooling is also a growing option. I know you've referenced homeschooling. So many more families are choosing homeschooling. Um, but if, if, if these options are not available, uh, it's, it's just really important for them to raise their voices, uh, to make their voices heard with policymakers. If you go and you look at the polling, and we've done a lot of polling over the years, but uh, support for educational choice, it, it stretches across um, uh, ideological boundaries uh, and uh, ethnic boundaries. Yeah. Uh, you have a majority of Democrats to support this. The Democratic Party, quite honestly, is completely out of touch with some of their core constituencies on this issue who are demanding more educational choice. But it's very popular with African Americans, Hispanics, millennials, very popular Republicans and independents. Uh, and, you know, <laughs> when you see polling numbers like these, normally politicians are rushing to do things to respond to them. Uh, and that just gives you a sense of how powerful the union is. Yes. Uh, John Schilling, you're absolutely right. I saw that in some measures I tried to push as a uh, policymaker back in Louisiana on education. Um, I, you know, I just say, hey, it makes sense. But common sense is not what drives the day when it comes to public education. It just says an adequate, antiquated system. Uh, and it's not focused on the children learning. So I think that's key what you said. Parents need to speak out. Are you seeing more of that across the country where parents are just saying, hey, enough is enough. They're coming together, whether it's tr- starting a charter school or just pushing back against the local school board? Yes, absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that we do as an organization, uh, you know, when, when, there, when there's a private choice option or a charter option, 
Uh, we spend a lot of time and energy trying to make sure that families are aware of those options. Uh, too often, uh, families are not aware of their options, and so th this is just really important. You got to make sure you get the word out, and uh, so that families know that these options exist. And you know, we remain hopeful. Uh, you, you noted that there's been some talk in Congress about. Uh, expanding educational choice. I, I hope that they will do this. Um, the pandemic does not distinguish between public school children and private school children. Right. Uh, it affects everybody. Uh, and if we're going to be uh, putting more resources into helping schools reopen, uh, we need to make sure that we're, we're including private schools. Uh, John, we're out of time, but your website, you have resources for parents to help them uh, find out what's available for them where they live, right? Yes, we do, www.federationforchildren.org. All right, folks, you heard that, uh, and if you didn't get it, go to TonyPerkins.com. We've got a link there, but this will help you look at the options available to you where you live. John Schilling, thanks so much for uh, joining us. Appreciate the work you do on this front. Very, very important. Thank you, Tony. Great to be with you. All right, uh, John Schilling, to find out more, again, go to the website, TonyPerkins.com, and, uh, and explore what options are available to you as a parent where you live in the state in which you live and then advocate for those policies that will better reflect your concern for your child that they have the best option available all right when we come back we're going to talk about how to start a christian school wow that's next with uh, doug wilson don't go away we're back with more washington watch after this Oh, man. What's wrong? I just missed Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, and our congressman was going to be on the show today. Oh, that's not a big deal. What do you mean? Well, you can always catch the replay of the day's show. How's that? With the Stand Firm app. Yeah? Yep, you can catch that day's program and so much more. You can contact your elected officials on campaigns and policies that are important to you with the Take Action tab. You can listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins live and play previous episodes while conveniently going about your day. You can access the Washington Update, informative blogs, tweets, and critical campaigns on the main feed so you can stay up to date on local and national news. Wow, I definitely use that. How do you find the app? Just visit frc.org slash app and download or search Stand Firm in the App Store. Okay, that's Stand Firm. Yep, Stand Firm. How do you know all this? Because I'm a SageCon, but that's another story. Huh? Are you looking to grow closer in your relationship with Jesus and in your knowledge of God's Word? Family Research Council has released a new three-part series titled Three Ways to Read the Bible. In this series, Patrina Mosley, FRC's Director of Life, Culture, and Women's Advocacy, shares helpful ways to be encouraged and directed by God's truth through studying and applying the Bible's text. Now's the time to get to know God through His Word by looking into the Bible and learning what it says about God, humanity, and the power of Scripture. During the season of isolation, devote time to the Lord and seek out his meaning for you. In times of crisis and any time, this blog series is a great primer on opening your eyes and heart to him through his word. Check out this helpful resource and learn how to read the Bible with not just your eyes, but your heart. To learn more, visit frcblog.com. That's frcblog.com.
All right, we've been looking at public education, rethinking education. You know, we, um, we, we've we looked at uh, homeschooling in, in part two of this series. We were just talking about earlier in the program, the Shell Bachman Charter Schools, just talking uh, with John Schilling about vouchers, school choice. Well, uh, look, uh, you got homework, right? You've got options. you got to figure out what's going to work best for you and what, uh, quite frankly, as Michelle said, pray about it. And what, the, what is the Lord leading you to do? Could it be to start a Christian school? Pastors, churches, you've got buildings there. You've got structures. You've got opportunities. My next guest is Doug Wilson. He's pastor of Christ Church in Moscow, Idaho, and senior fellow of theology at uh, New St. Andrews College. In 1981, he helped found Logos School, which pioneered the idea of a Christian academy on the classical model. He and his wife, Nancy, have three children and 17 grandchildren, many of whom attended uh, logo school. He is the author of a number of books on education, family, and marriage, including Recovering the Lost Tools of Learning, Repairing the Ruins, The Classical and Christian Challenge to Modern Education, and The Case for Classical Christian Education. He continues to serve on the board alongside his son, Nathan. Uh, Doug, welcome to Washington Watch. Well, great to be with you. Thank you for the invite. Well, let's talk about this option that's out there for parents and others pastors who are rethinking education, what does the church need to do to start a school? Well, um, uh, with my tongue in my, in my cheek a little bit, uh, to start with, you have to be a little bit crazy. Right? <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> you, shouldn't be, you, you shouldn't be all the way crazy, but you should be, um, uh, you should know that, you, that God wants you to live on the edge, um, and because it's going to seem that way. When we started Logos School, we had four teachers and no budget and, you know, 18 students the first year. And I honestly felt like I was bungee jumping with frayed cords. You know, um, it, man, this is a trust the Lord moment. But on the, Mount of, on the Mount of the Lord, it will be provided, as Abraham learned. And uh, I've seen since that time, when God blessed the founding of Logos School, I've seen hundreds of Christian schools open in the classical Christian school movement. And what it takes is the initial step of faith and the support of pastors in this is incalculable. Well, let's talk about, um, you know, it, obviously anything you do for the kingdom, anything you do of, of significance is going to come with resistance and it's going to be difficult. I mean, if not, everybody would do it. Um, right. How much does it cost? I mean, how practical is it for a church to move into this area? Well, it, it's really um, striking. It, uh, the, the main cost has to do with dedication and time. Uh, that's, that's the central cost. Hard work, dedication, and time. Passion. Um, passion, yes. Uh, the, the classical schools that I know of, the classical Christian schools that I know of, were launched on the basis of uh, adrenaline, coffee, and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> but not necessarily was, in that order. Yeah, not in that order. Well, sometimes depending on the week you had. <laughs> um, so you have this situation where people think that you need an endowment or you need a, uh, a huge donor or someone to, to make it easy or to smooth the pathway. No, uh, oftentimes there, there will be people who are willing to give after they see the dedication, right, right, uh, they're they're not gonna 
they're not going to fund a whimsical attempt at, at this. Uh, but if you if you're if you've got sold out parents uh, and a church that's willing to help parents who are willing to do their job as parents, uh, then you're going to you're going to have that dedication on display. And I have seen numerous schools start up with parents forming the board and volunteer teaching and driving the school bus and, you know, just all kinds of things, doing janitorial work, mm-hmm. getting, the, you know, getting the thing launched. But what a, a church can often supply is, A, the support of the pastor. These people aren't crazy, or they're just a little bit crazy. They're, <laughs> there are people, they're, they're good folks. Um, the pastor lending his support that way. And oftentimes, churches have facilities. You know, um, the, the big ticket item uh, that stops many people is where, where are we going to meet? You know, how, how are we right. going to uh, afford this? And we started, our school started in the basement of a church. Um, it was a church in town that had an unfinished basement. And we went to them and made a deal and said, listen, we'll finish out the basement if you'll let us incubate our school there, and uh, which they agreed to. And they got a finished basement out of it. We got uh, the first few, few years of our school starting. Um, so the support of uh, the pastoral support and the support of practical support of allowing a school to incubate in the, in the church facilities is um, uh, well, that, life and death. Yeah, Great. it is. It's, it's critical. Um, we're, we're, we're up against a break, um, but I, I want to ask you one more question because this is the question that I think anyone who is uh, contemplating this would want to ask you. Was it worth the toil the tears, the sweat. And that, so don't don't give me that answer yet. Just hold on there. All right. All right. All right, All right, right. folks, <laughs> stick with us. Uh, Doug Wilson, pastor of Christ Church in Moscow, Idaho, launched a school. He talked about it a little bit, about kind of the, the, the challenges in there, but was it worth it? Looking back, was it worth it? Is it? Hold on, because we're going to get that answer when we come back. And then we're also going to hear from Joseph Backholm. Joseph Backholm. Senior Fellow for Biblical Worldview and Strategic Engagement here at the Family Research Council about opportunities right now for churches to be a part of rethinking education. All of that and more coming up on this final segment of Washington Watch. Don't go away. We're back right after this break. The rapidly changing moral landscape of the 21st century presents a challenge for Christians committed to biblical sexual ethics. An uprising against morality has overturned centuries of norms concerning the family, marriage, and human sexuality. Secular culture is not the only challenger of Christian sexual ethics. Increasingly, theologically liberal churches and denominations are rejecting the church's historic teaching on marriage. As a result, Christians are facing increased pressure to compromise the Bible's teaching on human sexuality. How should Christians who are committed to God's Word respond to these challenges? What does the Bible teach about sexuality? Family Research Council has a new publication that presents the biblical principles for human sexuality. It lays out a survey of culture, scripture, and church history that will help pastors and all Christians meet modern-day challenges to biblical sexuality with truth and love. To access this publication, visit frc.org sexuality. Again, that's frc.org sexuality. In today's culture, it can be difficult for men to navigate what it means to be a man and to find clear models of masculinity and manhood. 
There are many competing ideas out there and even confusion around the basic concepts of gender and sex. Where can boys, young men, husbands, and fathers find a model of manhood, leadership, and strength in today's culture of confusion? This is Tony Perkins inviting you to join me at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference led by men who are seasoned, compassionate leaders who understand the issues of the day. These issues will invest in unpacking our role as defenders, providers, instructors, and battle buddies so that men can have generational influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Join us at one of our upcoming events in Texas, Louisiana, Florida, or Virginia. Learn more about Stand Courageous and find an event near you at StandCourageous.com. That's StandCourageous.com. StandCourageous.com. With horrifying acceleration in recent years, verified reports of murders, rapes, mutilations, and kidnapping of Christians in Nigeria have persistently increased. These attacks are frequently accompanied by the torching of homes, churches, villages, and agricultural fields. A July 15, 2020 headline reports that over 1,000 Nigerian Christians were killed in the first six months of 2020. This is in addition to 11,000 Christians who have been killed since June 2015. News stories about the assaults in Nigeria are rarely reported in mainstream media outlets. But when they are, they're regularly explained away as effects of climate change, local feuds, or religious wars for which both sides bear equal responsibility. For more information about the persecution of Christians in Nigeria, read FRC's publication, The Crisis of Christian Persecution in Nigeria, at frc.org slash Nigeria. This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Lots of resources there for you on the website as um, this is part three in a series on rethinking public education. Doug Wilson, my guest, uh, he um, started a classical Christian school. And we're, we're talking about, you know, the um, one of the options. All right. We, we've talked about many options. This is just one, just one. But, um, Doug, as we were going up to the break, I, I, I prepared you for this question. Yeah. Uh, you, you talked about the difficulty. You've got to be kind of on edge. You've got to be a little crazy. But as we know, anything worth doing is going to come with uh, challenges and opposition. But as you now look back on this journey, and uh, I just got to have to ask you, was, was it worth it? Do you see the fruit of the investment of your time and labor? Yeah, so for me, it's been a 40-year journey. We started Logos School in the early 80s, and I'll answer it this way. I would say that there has never been a Christian in this world who has been able to figure out a way to outgive God. Um, uh, we serve a Lord who promises to uh, return back to us 30, 60, and 100-fold, and I would have to say that that's the uh, uh, that's the way it is. I've I've been toiling in the Lord's vineyard with my little shovel, and the Lord comes in with his backhoe and, and dump truck. And, you know, I, I can't begin to calculate the blessings that I've received as, as a consequence of what we decided to do. Back when we didn't really know what we were doing, we just knew that we, what we didn't want and how we wanted our kids to have a classical and Christ-centered education. And the Lord has blessed us beyond all mortal reckoning. If 
my three kids went through Logos. They graduated. They all graduated. In the intro, it said I've got 17 grandkids, uh, all of whom, three of them are through, um, uh, four of them actually are through Logos School and are at New St. Andrews uh, College. And all the rest of them are at Logos. Uh, I've got 17 grandkids who love the Lord. Um, and there's just no price you can put on that. You know, it's, it's like, um, and they, they weren't trained by the enemy of our souls. They, they weren't, they weren't trained by a school system that doesn't know the difference between yeah. a boy and a girl. Yeah. I think that is the most significant. And my wife and I have experienced that. We've had that conversation. We homeschooled, she homeschooled. Uh, our five children, and the one thing that we have is a relationship with each of our five children. They all know the Lord, and and they were not turned against us by an ideology of the world that runs counter to the truth of God. Exactly right. That, and and there really is, uh, I can't, it's an incalculable, incalculable blessing. Uh, so, yeah, a lot of work, a lot of crazy and I hope I didn't spook anybody, but I you don't don't uh, I don't want to spring the fine print on them. Yeah, there's a lot of hard work, <laughs> but as Churchill said, blood, sweat, and tears. But we do it because it's worth it. Yeah, God is good. Well, we want to give our lives to something that matters, and uh, I would say seventeen grandchildren walking with the Lord that matters. Yeah, Doug, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. All right, folks. Uh, Doug Wilson, pastor of Christ Church in Moscow, Idaho. And uh, to find out more about this, go to the website, TonyPerkins.com, and follow links over. I'm sure he would be more than happy uh, to share his experiences with you. If this is something, uh, pastor, maybe you're pondering the idea of beginning a church, I mean, beginning a school in your church. So uh, check out the website, TonyPerkins.com. Another aspect as we think rethink public education is I think we got to step back as pastors, churches, parents. I mean, what opportunities are there at present as we rethink education in America? Joseph Backholm is Family Research Council's new senior fellow for biblical worldview and strategic engagement. He comes to us from the Colson Center for Christian Worldview, where he created and directed a series of videos called What Would You Say? It was designed to help educate Christians about how their faith interacts with the public sphere. He also spent a decade as president and general counsel of the Family Policy Institute in Washington State, where he led three ballot initiatives on marriage and gender privacy. Joseph, welcome to Washington Watch. Hey, thank you, Tony. Great to be with you. Before we jump into the opportunities that are present right now for churches, pastors, to rethink education, let's just talk about the kind of the why a little bit. How has public education impacted families from Christian homes? You know, I think what we have seen slowly happen, when we think about the the history of public education, really, public education was originally in America run by the Protestants. And there was a big debate at the end of the 19th century because the Catholics didn't want the Protestants teaching their kids about theology, so they started Catholic schools, and we see many of those today. And the Protestants were happy to maintain the monopoly in the public school system. And they created those things called Blaine Amendments to make sure that uh, that religious schools outside the public school system were not allowed to compete. 
And then, as, as we know, throughout the 20th century, eventually the secularists took the reins of the public school system from the Protestants who had for 150 years been running the show. Uh, but the problem is, is that the Protestants, and just meant much of the church in general, did not react by sending their children to another place for education like the Catholics once did in the end of the 19th century. And as a result, for the last 50 or 60 years, uh, America's Christians have been sending their kids to schools they used to run kind of out of habit, but now that are now dominated by people who have a very different worldview and a very different mindset. And that has taken its toll on America's kids. And what we see now today Just over the last 10 years, the fastest growing category in America is the nuns when it comes to religious affiliation. It's the nuns, which means they have no religious affiliation. There are 30 million more nuns today than there were in 2010, and 78% of them grew up in the church. So what the evidence is suggesting is that the church is losing its youth as they grow up, and I think it would be be naive to to believe that the amount of time that they spend inside very secular, uh, cultural, and academic environments is not having an impact. So I think that's one of the things that the church needs to come to terms with, is the impact that these current environments are having on our kids, and then think about, okay, what are we going to do about that? Yeah, I I think, you know, my experience um, back as a policymaker and now as a policy advocate, is that the what we've seen happen in the last 40 years, in particular in the last 15 to 20 in particular, where there's been a stigmatizing of faith. And we, we saw this, I mean, it began 1962, Bibles, prayer taken out of the, the schools. Then, you know, the march, you know, the Ten Commandments and prayer at football games and so on and so forth. And the message that was sent to um, kids was that, oh, religion is bad. It stigmatized it, and it, um, it it kept them from embracing it. And I think that's why you see a, a, a vast majority of kids coming out of that environment having a negative view of faith. Now, I, I think that's exactly right. Um, but, but it's also true that as the culture just becomes more secular, is that the children are Christian children are spending time in an environment where they just soak up attitudes and values right. that are just simply secular. And I have a friend who talks about it, the idea that we're all born as a cucumber and eventually we become pickles. And the kind of pickle we become is determined in large part by the brine that we spend all of our time in. And it's impossible as humans to be unaffected by the environment that you spend dozens of hours a week in for 16 years. Did, did your friend watch a lot of Edgy Tales growing up? <laughs> no, he didn't, I don't okay. think. But I think, right. it's a, I think it's a helpful uh, analogy because we do. We just soak things up. Because we're we're feelers as much as yeah. we are thinkers. Well, let's talk about now. I mean, with that background, when we look at what I think is an opportunity, I'm just kind of opportunity oriented. When we see these crises, we get the COVID crisis and schools are closed down. And what prompted me to do this entire series is when the president was saying, "We got to reopen schools." I said, like, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa! Let's rethink." how we're doing education, because if you look what's unfolding on America's streets, I think that's a part 
of what's happened in America's classrooms. And we've had experts talk about that on the, the previous uh, uh, installments of this series. So what is the opportunity we have now to rethink uh, education? What can churches, what can pastors do? Yeah, I, I agree with you, Tony. This is a tremendous and I think God-given opportunity because a few things have converged here for us, which is um, coronavirus has disrupted the education system like nothing in certainly my lifetime and anything that I can think of is the fact that that people are looking for alternatives to what they have habitually done in education in a way that they never have before. We're hearing about all of these um, you know, micro schools is the new term for a homeschool co-op, which has really been done for a long time by a lot of people. Right. But people are looking for alternatives. And at the same time, the Supreme Court jumped in with the Espinoza decision and said that any program that exists to give parents and families the right to choose among a variety of schools, they have to be able to choose religious schools as well, so at the same time when the the, the system is being disrupted, where there's a was a brand new demand for alternatives to public education as it has been understood for a very long time, the door is open for the church to once again lead, if not for you know the the, the culture at large, for at least its own community, because the church really has forfeited. Um, the the education of its children in right. most cases has kind of outsourced that to people who do not share a Christian value system or a Christian worldview. And I, the door now has been opened for, for the church to lead again. I mentioned this, Joseph, and I think it's a point to underscore. I've mentioned it many times before. I mentioned earlier in the program. You know, as a as Christians, when we understand that God has entrusted to us children, he has given us the authority and the responsibility over those children. Now, we can delegate the the authority to educate our children, but we can never delegate the, authority, the responsibility. We will be held accountable as parents for what our children have been taught. And I do think that this is a moment that the entire country is rethinking education as they've had the closing of the schools and children have been at home. I mean, this is a moment, and I think it's important to remind ourselves that as parents, we are the ultimate um, responsible party for the education of our children. That's exactly right, and I think that is that, that's a point that needs to be emphasized. And I'm actually I'm I'm encouraged because I think that is something that, that the coronavirus has, you know, the old saying that necessity is the mother of invention, and we don't change until we become uncomfortable with the status quo. Well, the coronavirus has created the need for invention and made a lot of people uncomfortable. And once again, on their own, without anyone's prompting, parents are asserting themselves again as the, as the guardians of their kids' education when it became so easy to just say, well, I just send my kid to the school down the street, and that's that, and let's hope it works well in 12 years. Yeah. That's you know, kind of been the habit that we've developed, and I'm, I'm excited that this disruption has, has caused many parents to change the way they're thinking about it and saying, no, I've got to make sure this is a great situation for my kid again. And I think that's something uh, that we can be excited about, but it's also an opportunity to 
to leverage the parents' renewed interest in what's going on with their kids' lives and, and create situations that are better than the one maybe they came from. Yeah, and I think parents have rediscovered relationships with their kids as they've been home and they've had conversations. They've discovered not only what their kids are being taught, but they've rediscovered the kind of what it is to be family. Um, because there's so many activities that keep us uh, occupied and keep us from being uh, connected and in fellowship. Uh, Joseph, back home, thanks so much for uh, for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you, Tony. Joseph, back home, he is uh, one of our newest members to the Family Research Council, Senior Fellow for Biblical Worldview and Strategic Engagement. Uh, keep up with him. You can go to TonyPerkins.com and follow the links over, and uh, I know you're going to hear from him uh, quite a bit. Uh, let me just, as we wrap up uh, in this uh, series on rethinking education, again, let me encourage you, if you missed uh, part one or part two, go back to TonyPerkins.com, and, uh, and you can watch those, share those with your friends. But this is a moment an opportunity for us as a nation and individually as parents, communities, as churches to rethink education and the importance. Look, we've talked about it with the experts, connecting the radicalization that's taking place in our classrooms with the lawlessness on our streets. You know, we lament that. We're concerned about the future of our country, but are we concerned enough to do something? to make those sacrifices in teaching our children and, and, and maybe others? Churches, look, we've got buildings, we've got structures that can be used to launch Christian schools, maybe a charter school. Maybe homeschooling's not for you. There are other options. Now is the time to explore those options. Now is the time to rethink education in America. And we have to assume the responsibility to do that. Each and every one of us have a part to play, but especially parents. Parents, remember, the education of your children and where they ultimately end up is your responsibility. Are they being taught to love the Lord and walk in his ways? That's your responsibility. Folks, thanks so much for joining us again. Go to the website, TonyPerkins.com. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, prepared, and taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action, For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. 